Hey everybody, this is Matt with another Overflow Pod, and we are in our Unshakable series looking at Daniel's life and learning how to remain strong no matter what life throws at you. And in this pod, we're looking at Daniel, who in 586 BC allowed God allowed the powerful Babylonian Empire to devastate Israel and take away 25% of the population. Daniel was one of those carried off as a prisoner of war. He saves the empire and actually outlasts three administrations, Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar, who led the Babylonian Empire, who had taken over from the Assyrian Empire. And then when the Persians came in and Cyrus the Great took over, their empire said, we're killing everybody, but we're keeping Daniel. Daniel went through a lot of tests in life. And at every stage, whether he's a teenager, midlife, or even retirement, there's something for everyone in the story. But first, we got to look at his tests. Proverbs 17.3, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. So let's look into Daniel's testing. But before that, let's get into some of the principles of testing. And these principles of testing will help us see the ramifications and the importance of these tests. So number one, first principle of testing is before every blessing, there is also testing. If you're going to be blessed by God, you're going to be tested by God. If you're going to be used by God, he's going to see what you're made of first. What does God test when he tests you? He tests your character, your integrity, your humility, generosity, loyalty, faithfulness, truthfulness. Basically, he tests who you are. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. See, God entrusted Daniel and he tested him, Daniel's character. And in this story we're going to look at in weeks ahead, it's tested many times. And each time he passes it, the test that God gives him, he gets more influence, more power. And here's more important here, more insight. See, God tells Daniel stuff he didn't tell anybody else. And in fact, Daniel is the only guy in history besides John, the apostle, who wrote the book of Revelation about how the world is going to end. He told him how history is going to happen. Why did God show that to Daniel? Because he had tested him. He passed the test. So he trusted him. It also makes the last chapters of Daniel as difficult as Revelation to understand. This isn't a foreign concept about testing. See, we test people all the time. In college, I needed a car. All I had was a motorcycle. But a girl trusted me to leave the keys and her car at my apartment. Now, that just didn't happen. So I'd known the girl for years and she was the girlfriend of one of my friends and she spent pretty much every day for two years with me and my friend and her boyfriend, obviously, and hanging out. And she got to know me. She got to see what I was like. She got to be in the car when I drove. She got to see me at my least and my best moments. And she trusted me. And that trust was built over two years. And she knew I would never drink and drive. She knew I would never be careless in a car. So she gave me her keys. I parked it at my apartment. And she said, you don't have to call me. Just use the car whenever you want. And that was total trust that was built over a couple years. Another principle of testing is that God tests us with stress before he trusts us with success. So every time Daniel passes a test, he gets promoted. And tests can come in all types. They can be mental, physical, emotional, even social. 
And the first test that the book of Daniel talks about is social pressure. Social pressure is when you're pressured to conform to something that you know isn't right, maybe by your boss, by the government, by any authority in your life, or by the peer pressure of others to do something that you know isn't right. It's violating my conscience. So how do you not succumb to pressure? How do you stand firm and unshakable? This King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, after he takes all 25% of the Israel hostage and he moves them, he picks out the smartest, the brightest, the best looking, most gifted teenagers in the whole bunch. He brings them to the palace and Daniel happens to be one of them. He's 15 years old and King Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to go through a three-year indoctrination program. We're basically going to wipe out your memory of Israel. You don't need the Bible anymore. You don't need God anymore. We're going to brainwash you to become Babylonian. You're going to serve in my court and we will be your gods. And some of you are going to get promoted to even higher positions. We're going to teach you a new language, a new culture, new habits, new religion. And we're going to give you new names. Now, I covered this in the last couple of pods, but let me go over the names again. Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel. The name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, why are they getting new names? Well, because all of their names are Hebrew names which refer to God, the true God in Hebrew. So they're now about to be renamed after pagan gods. For instance, Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. Daniel is renamed Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects me. Bel was a fake pagan fake god of Babylon. Then Hananiah, his name in Hebrew means God is gracious. He is renamed Shadrach, that's the moon god of Babylon. Mishael, whose name in Hebrew means who is like God, in other words, no one is as great as God is, is renamed Meshach, who is a fertility god in Babylon. And Azariah, which in, in Hebrew means God has helped me, is renamed Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, who is another pagan god. Now, not only did they give him new names, new identities, new jobs, new clothes, you're getting a new diet. You don't get to eat your Jewish food anymore. You only get to eat Babylonian food. You're going to eat what the king eats. It's a total reprogramming. Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 said the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after they were to enter the king's service. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us. I mean, everyone's got to eat. But back in the Old Testament, there were many dietary laws. Some were for cleanliness. Some were to show themselves that they were different. This strict diet was at the core who they defined themselves. So in reality, this is a huge deal. And Daniel stepped up and refused to be conformed anymore. He, he resolved not to defile himself. And he says, the Bible says he went to the chief official, that's the chief of staff of the palace, for permission not to defile himself this way. He didn't try to do it obnoxiously. He asked for permission in private. He didn't make a grandstand of it. He did. He tried to be like, hey, is there any way we can work this out? Now, what's going on here? Now, anybody who's been on a serious athletic team or college or pro or if you're an Olympic athlete, there's such a thing called a training table where in training, you only eat what's on the table, what the coach tells you you're going to eat. And they're not going to change this. They're not going to change their diet. You're going to eat the good stuff and spare no expense. However, now Daniel has to eat the king's food, which it sounds like a good thing, 
but it's really not. Now, Daniel uses the word defile. What does the word defile mean? It means to corrupt, pollute, contaminate. It's a loss of purity. I, I still remember this a few years ago when former President Trump hosted national football champion Clemson Tigers uh, to the Oval Office, and he gave them food, and he gave them what he thought they would like. He thought, young boys, big athletic boys love fast food. But it's terrible for them. It's actually poison for an athlete's body to eat a McDonald's cheeseburger. They're not good for you. <laughs> and it's horrible for them. And I got a big kick out of watching the president parade McDonald's and KFC like it was some grand feast. And the kids didn't know what to do, so they just ate. Because, you know, you don't, you don't disagree with the president in the Oval Office as a college athlete. I mean, they didn't have a choice. What's funny, though, is a nonpartisan friend of mine wrote to me about it. And he said, you know what? If you compare the previous year's championship dinner, which was very high class and nutritional, he said the only difference is when politicians pay for food, it's fast food. But when taxpayers pay for food, it's really nice high-quality food. <laughs> and a politician paid for it and it ended up being McDonald's and KFC. Here's another way to think about defiling. If you go down to the beach and say you're in my home state of Delaware and you go to Rehoboth or Dewey or Lewis and you have a party and when you leave there, you leave a bunch of junk and trash and cans on the beach. You've defiled the beach. You've polluted it. It was nice, but now it's not nice. If you pour chemicals or toxic waste or sewage in the river, you've defiled the river. You've corrupted it. And Daniel says, that's what I'm not going to do by eating the king's food. Wow, that's very insulting if you think about it. But he only said it to the palace official. He tried to say it in a polite way. You know, think about it. this 15-year-old. He's taking on the most powerful man in the world and saying, sorry, your food isn't good enough. In fact, it's poison. I'm not going to eat it. Now, what's going on here? There are three reasons Daniel refuses to conform in this situation. First, there's literally a health reason. The king's food wasn't good. It was kind of like junk food. It was heavy on sauces and a lot of sugar. They didn't know much about nutrition back then. It wasn't really healthy food, so there's a physical reason. But then there's also a cultural reason, a national reason. God in the Bible gave the Jews, the nation of Israel, very strict dietary laws. Today we call them kosher laws. And God did this because he said, I want you to never forget that you are unique from everybody else. You don't get to eat like the rest of the world eats. It wasn't because God thought the Jews were better. It's just that God said, I have chosen the nation of Israel to give us the Ten Commandments, to give us the Bible, to give us the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus. I chose this nation above all. They're not better, but I chose them to be the conduit. And you're never to forget that. You're unique, so you don't get to eat what everyone else eats. They're called kosher laws. So Daniel goes, wait, I'm not supposed to eat this way. I'm a Jew. There was a cultural, a national, and you could even say a religious reason that separated them from everybody else, along with health. This is a huge issue during Daniel's age. They did not eat what other people eat. Now, we know everything changed after Jesus came 600 years later. When he died for us on the cross, he fulfilled the laws of the Old Testament. So we no longer need to follow the sacrificial law making sacrifices like lambs and stuff on Sundays. <laughs> we no longer have to follow the dietary laws because Jesus fulfilled them as well. So if you've accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross as our sacrifice and ask him to forgive you for all our sins, all your wrongs and mistakes and failures, they're gone. 
God adopts you into his family and prepares a place for you in heaven. So Jesus fulfilled the law. He changed everything. And so these kosher dietary laws, that's why we don't follow them anymore. And I know that some Jews still follow them, and it's really because of the cultural significance. 1 Timothy 4, 3-5 says it this way. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Because Jesus fulfilled the law, they don't need to eat specifically according to the Old Testament, and rather go by the principle that says, God says, if I made it, you can eat it. Does that make sense? So we don't have the same test as Daniel does. We don't have to worry about the food. However, God says he didn't make any junk food. I made this food that you can eat it. Now, the problem is, is that we think everything we can eat is good, but maybe it's not made by God. Let me give you an example, a Twinkie. A Twinkie is not made by God. If you read the label of any food and it's got 50 chemicals on it that you can't read, you probably shouldn't eat it no matter what. All right, now let's go get the Twinkie. I used to love them as a kid until I turned about 18 and I started to pay attention to nutrition. Ever wonder what's actually in a Twinkie? I looked it up and it, it might break your heart. It broke my heart when I first read it. It's a wonder it's sold as food at all. It shouldn't be food. It's a poster child for Franken food and the key reasons why you should never trust a Twinkie. Here we go. I have to go on this tangent. A single Twinkie contains 37 ingredients. Only five of them are recognizable. Flour, eggs, water, sugar, and salt. Twinkies are manufactured with 14 of the top 20 chemicals made in the U.S. Whole food ingredients have been replaced by chemicals. For example, less egg has been used, and they've been replaced by monoglycerides and diglycerides, which are chemicals to bind fats and water-based ingredients to extend the shelf life of a product. Remember, we joke about the shelf life. It's the only thing to survive a nuclear holocaust is a Twinkie and cockroaches. It contains harmful ingredients that contribute significant risk to chronic disease, like high fructose corn syrup and four other types of sugar. Yep, that's five nasty sugar in the Twinkie. It has the unhealthiest kinds of fats, hydrogenated vegetable fats, or we call them trans fats for short, which are simply awful for your health. The vitamins, artificial colors, and flavorings, they come from petroleum. That's right. The cream center, it has no cream. It's full of shortening, which is a cheap fat. It also contains an amount of sodium stearate, which is one of the most common ingredients found in soap. <sighs> no more Twinkies for me. So say Twinkie isn't your thing. As a kid, one of my favorite desserts on the go is the Wendy's Frosty. Wendy's Frosty is loaded with corn syrup, artificial flavors, and a long list of thickening agents. In fact, it takes 14 ingredients to create this fast food milkshake over really the only two ingredients you need is ice cream and milk. It has guar gum, cellulose gum, and carrageenan are all used in the recipe to artificially create the thickness and texture of the drink. Oh, I used to love Frosties till I read that. You wonder why you like it so much. It's because it's chemically manufactured to taste amazing, but to be absolutely terrible for you. So if God made it, it's good. Like, like people say, if it grows on a plant, good. If it's made in a plant, maybe not so good. I mean, think about 
potato grown in the ground. Potato chips made in a plant, not so good. You can eat as many potatoes as you want, but potato chips, eh, you might want to stay away from. Eat in small doses. <laughs> so God says anything that he made is okay. So there's no off-limit meat out there. It's all good. Even more important than what Paul says is what Jesus said. Look at this verse in Matthew 15, 11. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean because it's all from God. You can eat it all. But what comes out of your mouth, those vile words and your bad attitude, that's what's wrong. So what's going on here? Why is Daniel rejecting this? Well, there's health, there's national culture, there's religion. But the big one is this. It's a spiritual attack on Daniel's identity. Because remember, this is, I want to really emphasize this. They were commanded by God to eat kosher. And this is a huge way to stop them from being spiritual Jews any longer. You don't think the Babylonians didn't know this? You know what? We do this in our country where we begin in elementary school. God is not a part of it at all. And schools at every level will do their best to remove Jesus and to treat his gift of salvation as myth. Actually, they won't even address it as myth, but rather as a swear word you can't say in school. I didn't see the hostile environment until I got to college, but it's there. I say it big time in my kids' schools. You can say anything you want, but don't you dare say anything about God. Now, don't get me wrong. I love separation of church and state, and I think it is the right thing, but I think the implementation of it has gone too far. When you can readily talk about in school, Norse gods, Buddhist, Hinduism, or Muslim, but you can't mention Jesus, that's where the, my difficulty lies. I want you all to realize that we're all in a pressure cooker, forcing us to conform slowly, ever so slowly, taking away what it means to be a Christian, a follower of God. And we are facing the same pressure to conform as Daniel had so many years ago. People don't go to the Bible for answers anymore. We turn to other things, books, experts, society, people's opinions, the almighty Google. When you're pressed to conform, what do you do? Right now in the world, we have major issues that are extremely complex. Not as simple as people say they are. We have Roe v. Wade being overturned. I thought I would talk about that here, but I wrote about four pages and I realized that I had barely scratched the surface. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't write this. I can't talk about this because I can't casually mention it because it's so much bigger than just a simple, simple fact of it's not allowed anymore. So I don't even want to address it. It's just very complicated. But what about the canceling of the separation of church and state? Apparently that's next. These are not simple topics. And anyone who claims it is doesn't understand what's going on. Who will you turn to for answers when you're pressed to conform? Do you turn to what is comfortable, the world around you? Maybe you will turn to fellow Christians. That sounds good, right? Or even your church. Hey, there, that should be the right answer. What should we do? Well, what did Daniel do? What did Daniel do in this test? He turned to God, not to his friends, not to any synagogue leader that he may still be in contact with. When you are struggling, pick up his word and see what it says and simply follow. Because let me tell you, I was a pastor. I still am a little bit but I do online stuff mostly now. I was flawed. I would tell people constantly from the pulpit, you know, that, that little thing 
that's this imaginary authority thing in the front of the church. I said, don't trust me. Look in your in God's word. If it says what I say, then believe what I say. Because anybody who wants you to trust them is trying to get something over on you. You got to be careful. Go to his word. Don't even trust the best of people. I once had a, a pastor who is the closest thing to a hero in my life say to me, he goes, the only heroes in my life are all passed away because they can't let you down. <laughs> people will let you down, but God will never let you down. That's where you got to turn for answers when you're pressed to conform. Go right to God's word. People make mistakes. Even the smartest, wisest people mess up. And even me from time to time. <laughs> no, really, if I'm honest, I mess up every single day. Go straight to the source of wisdom, God's word. And be wary of people spouting, I have the truth, because God's word is the truth. And these issues are very complicated. Why did it take so many years and so many things for things to be overturned? Because it's a way more complicated than we realize. And the issues are so complex. So don't just say, you know what? I'm going to come to a snap decision. Say, you know what? What does God's word say? Listen to the issue, you know, because it's way more complicated than these things. So when you're pressed to conform, what are you going to do? First thing you got to do, instead of turning to others, instead of turning to the world, is turn to God. See what's in his word, the truth. And you're going to pass whatever test life throws at you, especially now, even in our craziness. And in this first test, Daniel shows four character qualities that we all need, that we're going to look at in our next pod, because you know what? I just can't do it right now. And so this pod isn't complete without those four qualities, but I had to split it up because if not, I'm going to be talking for an hour and we all don't want that. So anyway, hope this pod encouraged you and enlightened you in some way and God bless and see you in the next one.